and welcome to the JNMP podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Michelle Farah from the School of Women's and Children's Health, the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. And we're going to be talking about mucinersin for spinal muscular atrophy. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Good morning. So tell us a bit about SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, and in particular the treatment landscape that currently exists. Spinal muscular atrophy is a type of motor neuron disorder and it's an inherited motor neuron disorder. And the most common cause is um, an inherited recessive disorder, which results in deficiency of the survival motor neuron protein. And the, the most common manifestation of SMA is in infants and it is the leading genetic cause of infant death under two. And the typical characteristics of a baby or infant affected by SMA is hypotonia, progressive weakness and loss of motor function. There is a range of severity from the most severe type 1 very weak infant to a less severe type 3 child or adult who may be ambulant for most if not all of their life. Um, in terms of the incidence, it's 1 in 10,000 births. And for type 1, without disease-modifying therapy, the prognosis was that the median survival is 9 months of age and that 8% of infants would be expected to be alive after the age of 20 months. So previously, in the setting of no disease-modifying therapy, the approach in Australia was supportive care largely focused on quality of life and there was a consensus in Australia not to um, recommend life-prolonging therapy that wasn't going to improve the quality of life of infants. That has changed with the first disease-modifying therapy being mucinersin. So really the focus of the paper was to describe the immense shift in therapy with the introduction of the first disease-modifying therapy. And the major shift was from supportive care and huge part of palliative care to, for the first time, combining supportive care with active therapy. And we were really operating with limited data where we knew that there was short-term efficacy and it certainly had an impact in prolonging survival and improving motor function, but the long-term impact is not yet known. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit about nucinersin and, and the sort of promise it might show for SMA. So nucinersin is a designer drug and it has been, um, it's an antisense oligonucleotide and what that is is a small strand of nucleic acid and they're targeting a specific section of the backup gene SMN2 mRNA and it's targeting a section of the mRNA that is involved in splicing of the gene such that the splicing mechanisms are altered such that the full-length SMN protein is able to be made. Um, it's a very complex therapy in that it's, um, it's administered intrathecally by lumbar puncture such that people get for intrathecal loading doses over the first two months and then they enter a maintenance phase where they get injections intrathecally every four months thereafter. So what we know from Lucy Merton is that the first human was treated in 2011 and the phase three clinical trials began in 2013. So it's only been around in humans for a couple of years and 
the clinical trials have demonstrated that for babies treated with SMA type 1 that there is a significant improvement in survival compared to babies that were on placebo in the phase 3 trials and in addition motor function also improved in quite significantly in babies that were treated. For example, they improved in their abilities to kick, their abilities to roll and their abilities to sit. Um, and that is something that previously has never been seen with SMA type 1 because really the best that you would ever see a baby would be on the first appointment and then it would be a degenerative disease such that they would progressively lose function. The clinical trials have also demonstrated efficacy in milder phenotypes, SMA type 2 and type 3 in children. Um, and really, because the trials have been around for only a couple of years, there are certainly a number of uncertainties, including what the long-term impact will be in terms of what the limits of therapy will be, what the duration of therapy and what the ultimate impact will be. I mean, your paper broadly describes the sort of management and ethical issues that are now emerging with nucinersin and, and, and sort of potential promise for SMA. I wondered if you could tell us a bit about these sort of new issues that are arising as, as the landscape changes. So I think even since then, the landscape continues to change. And at the time that we wrote this paper, we were... Um, starting to treat the first patients outside the clinical trial through the expanded access program. And in talking to patients about this new therapy, we had limited data about the long-term impacts and some of the concerns that our patients and parents relayed to us is, well, is this just going to prolong suffering? What's the ultimate outcome? And really, that was the big ethical issue. Um, in terms of making a decision about starting a new therapy without knowing the full data set. However, um, it did take a lot of time sometimes for families to be able to digest this complex information and be able to make an informed decision um, to be able to treat their child. And really the discussions were that we knew that it could modify disease severity, but certainly in babies that are already symptomatic, it was not going to be a cure. And then we certain, um, at the time, we weren't able to predict exactly what the clinical response would be because not every patient had the same clinical response. So taking that forward, for the first time in treating the first 20 patients in Australia, we were combining supportive care with active therapy and we did notice that our care did change and we were more proactive in providing respiratory care. And for the first time, we were, invited, we were introducing non-invasive ventilation to improve quality of life and respiratory outcomes in our patients. And we were also more proactive in nutritional support to make sure that they had optimal care such that their response from the nursing nursing was optimised. What is next for SMA treatment? Well, one of the things that I wanted to highlight in our paper was the fact that um, it took the median time for patients to be diagnosed with SMA from the time that they developed symptoms to getting a definite diagnosis was five months. So that's a huge amount of time when you're thinking about a motor neuron disease to be able to, and that's time lost in terms of getting treatment. And that's for SMA type one and other literature says that the time for diagnosis is longer in the milder phenotypes. 
So I think the really hot topic in the field at the moment is how we can expediate diagnosis and really the idea of introducing newborn screening to be able to identify people that will be affected with SMA at the earliest possible time when they're pre-symptomatic because that is the ideal time to be able to introduce a therapy to be able to optimise the response to motor neurons because when you think of motor neuron disease, once the horse is bolted, if those motor neurons have degenerated, they can't be rescued. You can only rescue the surviving motor neurons. So it, I think the next thing is to really look at how we can introduce newborn screening so that we can get the best outcomes for our patients by introducing therapies. I think another thing that's next for SMA treatment is the prospect of further innovative therapies. And now we have the first, I feel that there is a huge transformation in the field and the prospect for further therapies is advancing very quickly. And there's the idea that gene therapy and oral therapies may also be as effective in SMA and that further beyond therapies targeting increasing SMM protein, the idea of other therapies targeting other pathways in SMA are now under investigation. So I feel that for a long time in the field, there hasn't been a disease-modifying therapy, and now we have the first. I think that there is going to be rapid advancement with further introduction of therapies over the coming years, which will um, mean that patients have better opportunities and better outcomes. Well, we very much hope so. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're welcome. So that was Dr Michelle Farrer from the School of Women's and Children's Health at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. And we were talking about her recent paper in the JNMP, which you can, of course, download for free on jnmp.bmj.com, looking at Nusi Nursen in SMA and the expanded access program that's been occurring. And thank you so much for listening.